Zach, it's good to have you back. Man, it's good to be home. You just, you were on a trip. I was. I just got back a few minutes ago, and it was a good trip. Quick, I, fast, furious. It was good. Fast and furious. Sponsor? Uh, no. Maybe? One day. Okay. But anyways, you know, while you were gone, it gives me time to think, you know, because you're not always talking to my ear. Right. I thought so I, I was, smelled something burning was, in the house. <laughs> yes. It was, the, it was my brain oven. That's right. I left my brain oven on. And I, like I said, I was thinking, contemplating back just on, on our life. Right. Got uh, real the, deep. <laughs> Delved into some deep places. Not that deep. <laughs> right. Well, but, but where I landed was not really that deep at all. But it was our freshman year. Right. Stonehouse. Okay. A discipleship dorm program that we were in. I do remember that. And a specific night after our Stonehouse meeting, which were on Thursdays. Yeah. The boys, pretty much everyone in the entire hall was out. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm trying to recall what you're, you're yeah, going Yeah, no, at. I'll get there. I'm just, okay, I'm okay. taking you on a journey. I'm okay. painting the picture before I, like I fill I like in the it. details. And so, Backpack Alley is where I want to Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm there so, now. You want to explain to the listeners what Black Backpack Alley is? I would love to. So in our hall, it's like a downhill slope. That's yeah. just how it was built. So if you think of a double black diamond, right. I'm just kidding. No, it's no, not very, very bunny hill. But here's the deal. If you start out at like the top and then run to the bottom, you can pick up some major speed. Oh, yeah. And you're running in between the doors. So there's like people's doors on either people's side. Rooms. And yeah. then if you're going too fast, you can just go out the door at the back. Right. It's an emergency exit. We the alarms never went off. I was going to say, we discovered halfway through the, uh, the, the year that the alarm didn't go off. Which is so funny. It was but, a very good uh, life hack. So we would go down this hill and like skateboards, mattresses, all sorts of things yeah, that mattresses. weren't allowed. That's, just, that's a side story, but yeah, we, we, we did we'll say mattresses. But this specific night, our freshman brains had a incredible idea. Oh, absolutely. It's Magnificent. Like, it's like midnight, 1 a.m. Pablo Picasso this is of good. ideas. This is good. So we decided that we were going to send someone down from the top of the slope to the bottom of the slope. Everyone was going to be standing in their specific doors, holding their backpacks. And as that person ran by, everyone gets a shot at them with their backpack. Yes. A clean shot. Right. We thought. We thought. And that person would see how far they get. Right. So as freshmen, obviously now, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, foolish. But in the moment. My senior brain is far more evolved. Right. <laughs> I've we learned a couple now, things. Which is good. It is good. You have, to, you have to have those times where you get literally knocked down yeah. to get back up and run yes. faster. But so this specific time, we let, I think the only, we only let two people ever two go. Two people ever went. Joel <laughs> Thomas went first, spunky kid, a lot of life and energy in him. And he made it. And he made it through. Second guy, Ephraim Carball. Also spunky. Also spunky. Just a nice guy. Just a nice guy. He's now serving as the RA of Stonehouse. Giving back. Giving back to the ministry that had made him. Right. So Ephraim, we're like, go. And he starts chugging <laughs> down the hill. And he's in socks as well. So yes. he's like half slide, half run. And he gets hit by a couple. And then all of a sudden. About three doors down. Three doors down. Just like your, just where your neighbor is. You know, there's your weird our, neighbor. our antagonist in the story. Eaton Dun 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 Mayfield. We love him. But he's kind of a wild card. He is a wild card. He could be by himself. He could be reading. But he also could just be in the middle of it all. Life of the party. Yes. So we see all of a sudden. It's like life goes into slow motion in the hall. <laughs> Ephraim's like running. It's like doom doom. And then all of a sudden, we see Keaton, his backpack over his head, which is unusual. And like, think Viking warrior as like facial expression. He didn't have face paint or a beard, but he could have had that with like a horned helmet. We also want to clarify, Keaton and Ephraim have no beef. No. Nothing nothing wrong in between them. Right. And then so Keaton all of a sudden just smacks Ephraim in the (gasps) face, in the face with his backpack and (laughs) knocks Ephraim on his back. And it was... I mean, it had to hurt. 
had to hurt. Yeah. And uh, so we could tell because he was saying, ow. Well, yeah, I don't remember him saying, yeah. ow. He didn't cry. He's a tough guy. But right. we all like are jumping up and down, like, oh my gosh, what oh, happened? Yeah. Kate, what are you thinking? But it's like the ev- evolution of the human brain from freshman to senior year Praise is God. Well, yes, but it's also unreal. It is. Unreal growth. And you oh, can I tell saw from it. that story. I can testify. Yeah, well, yeah, well testify. Can you get a witness? I will Jesus. be that witness. Well, I mean, but we're just learning from the successes of people that go before us. Nah, that's, sometimes it's our own. That is that is true, Zach. Speaking of our mission statement, welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. Coop, how are we? I'm doing good. You know, Zach and I never got to make it through backpack alley but i think we would have been just fine i think we would have made we it. just dodged the backpack from keat <laughs> i know it would have been good you know where keat is and then you just duck and you then duck you're it good well coop today we got a good interview someone actually that was also at one point in time a freshman at dallas baptist university he was he's a former dbu patriot he's a DBU baseball player now he's a pastor in arizona you saw him on american gospel yes. that's probably what he's most famous for if you've seen american gospel he was one of the main interviews on there. His name is Kosti Hinn. Mm. Kosti Hinn is the nephew of the like the televangelist that everyone knows of making millions of dollars, Benny Hinn. Yep. And his like defect from that ministry is what really is documented in the American Gospel. He came out with a book recently. documentary and film, and we highly recommend it. It's really, really good if you want to just learn what the prosperity gospel is and Super how to counterattack it. Kosti's book is called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Yeah. Uh, also very insightful. Absolutely. Crazy cool stories. And so we got to read through some of that before going in this interview. But today with Kosti, we talked to him about, hey, you're not in control. There's a higher power. There's someone outside of you that is in charge of your life and that has you. And that is a good thing, but you have got to take your hands off the steering wheel. With Gosti, we went through um, Proverbs 21.1, which says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He he moves it whichever way he wishes. And that's the deal. As leaders, we have to realize that we are submitting to someone higher than ourselves, and that is Jesus Christ. And that he died for our sins, he raised three days later, and that we can put our trust and hope in him because he has your best interest in mind, just like it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah. But this was an incredible interview. Absolutely. I mean, it was really cool sitting with Costi across from him and watching him quote scripture. So he had his Bible out next to him. Right. And a lot of times, Zach would be asking a question, and he would start to be flipping through his Bible um, to the verse reference, but Zach would stop talking before he had time, so he wouldn't actually pull up the verse, but just say it from memory. Yeah. So that was like that's just a cool thing to think behind the scenes is all of this scripture is from memory, and yeah. so that was super encouraging to Zach and I as we just want to be men of God's word. And Costi definitely is that super approachable and so like humble. fun to hang out with, and oh. was so down to earth and truly, which is a testament to the Lord because of, yes. he kind of talks about the way he came in. Um, to DBU his freshman year, super prideful, super um, he's the man mentality. And it was really cool. I mean, just to see the the way that the Lord truly um, turned his heart like a stream. Yeah, I feel like we left with a genuine friend. Yes. And like that is the kind of guy that Costi is, that we went in walking, like we were wearing like suits because we just came from an event, but we talking to him. And then by the end, it's just like, he sits with us for probably yes. an hour yeah. after, and we just talked and just cut it up, and it was awesome. Amazing. He's so an incredible fun. guy. Not just wisdom. Like, his wisdom is so vast, but oh, also yeah. he's such a personable friend. That's, I mean, that's the best way to put it. That's why we're so excited to share this with yes. you guys. So we hope you listen to it all. We hope you, you take some something from it. But here he is. It's Costi Hinn. Costi, thank you so much for being with us and, and taking time to 
share some wisdom. I want you to just introduce yourself. Where do you come from? Kind of tell your story of how you got to to where you are today. Yeah, um, I grew up in kind of a crazy Christian circle. The prosperity gospel was something that I believed in. And so uh, if you picture growing up in ministry and in my life, the backstory is a pastor's kid, but with a bit of a twist. So we lived in mansions, we drove, you know, Benzes and, uh, you know, Ferraris and and hot rod cars. And I came to Dallas Baptist University, actually, uh, with a H2 big black Hummer on 22s. Come on. And, <laughs> yeah, well, come on. It was from donations of church members. But yeah, yeah. we were we were living like rock stars. And, um, you know, even being here, I used to park wherever I wanted. I parked up on the curbs. I used to have my car in an angle. And I'd park kind of half on the grass, yeah. half on the parking spot, just to tell security that, you know, I was somebody. Right. And so I viewed Jesus and the gospel and church life as sort of uh, a means to my end, right. a way to uh, get rich, a way to also just make my life amazing in the way I wanted it to be. And so uh, in a lot of ways, I was influential. I was a leader. I, I was around great leaders in a sense, great meaning they were influencing people. Right. But uh, I look back to even my early years in school when I was leading people down the wrong path. A teacher once said, you know, you're an influential guy, you're a leader, you've got leadership gifts, but man, you're dangerous because you can really lead people all the wrong directions Mm -hmm. and you need to lead people the right way and for the Lord. So um, yeah, it it was as though I was destined for one of two roads. I was either going to end up uh, in prison, or my life in a wreckage of my own sin, or I was going to end up serving the Lord faithfully. And yeah. I, I did a little bit of both. And thankfully, here and now, uh, the true gospel got a hold of my heart. The Lord, through the power of the Spirit, uh, did a mighty work in my life. It was all Him. I brought nothing to the table except uh, my sin and my past and a lot of mistakes. But eventually, the truth just shattered my old belief system. And now I'm a pastor. I live in Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, my wife, our almost four kids mm. are just an amazing blessing from the Lord, evidence of his grace upon grace. And I pastor a church in the area there in Arizona, and we're preaching the word and just trying to be faithful to the Lord. It's amazing. And I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of people have seen American Gospel. They know who you are. They know who your, what your story is. But kind of talk about that transition. Because it's kind of one extreme to another, the prosperity to just the Baptist preacher that you are now. Talk about that that point in the middle, what that looks like, and how God just gripped your heart. Yeah, I wrestled with certain things for a while, but the Bible became the trump card on everything. Mm-hmm. I decided, of course, by the grace of God, that uh, if I'm going to believe it, it needs to be in the Word of God. If I'm going to say that this is what reality is, it needs to match the reality of the Word of God. So. The way I used to think is my experience informs my truth. My feelings, my desires inform my truth. Well, now Mm -hmm. it's the other way around. Um, The truth of God's Word informs my experience. Mm -hmm. The truth of God's Word uh, informs or filters my emotions. And so you picture it like a pool filter or an air filter. God's Word is now the filter. Everything, my experience has to filter through that. Mm -hmm. My feelings have to filter through that. My belief systems, my convictions, all of it has to filter through God's Word. And so that transition was a a difficult one. It wasn't without pain and without wrestling through, of course, you know, doctrinal issues and habits and sins Mm -hmm. and old ways and old ways of thinking. But um, God was faithful 
And as I studied the Word of God, the Holy Spirit did what only He can do, and He illuminated my mind and my heart, helped me understand things. And then uh, the last thing is this, uh, faithful people came along inside mm. me. And I had, uh, again, Coach Dan Hefner here at Dallas Baptist, who poured in a lot of truth to my life. And my now wife, who I met shortly after being at DBU, I went home to California, I met her. She was a question asker. She was a godly young woman, a very new believer, but a very logical one, who would ask me simple questions about my lifestyle that made me think in ways I never had. And then I had this pastor shortly after that season who came into my life, and he embodied Proverbs 27, 6, that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Mm. He was a faithful friend who, who would wound me in a loving way and ask me questions and point out areas of in my life that were dark shadows, old beliefs, bad habits, and uh, I had a choice to make, face those and grow or avoid them and continue to go down this road that was leading nowhere. Right. And so again, by the grace of God, His Word, and the influence of great leaders and other people in my life, uh, the Lord grew me, and I'm thankful for His work. Which is amazing, because if you look at it, in hindsight, you made the right decision of the path to take. But it had to be hard, because the lifestyle you were going down and could have chosen was comfortable, and it was easy. And I want to I talk about the filter for a second you talked about. What does it practically look like for you to filter your emotions through what the Word of God says? Because in our culture, that's something I struggle with. That's, that's something people, our generation struggles with, is that my emotions rule what I do. And, and what I what happens, the output of my life comes from my emotions or my feelings. So practically, what does it look like for me to filter everything through the Word of God? Yeah, I think immediately of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verses 4 and 5. It actually is about the way we think and about the mind. But in the Bible, the mind and the emotions or the heart and the mind are the exact same thing. Where mm. So what you feel, how you think, kind of your will center, who you are, is all wrapped up in the heart and the mind. Paul says that we're to take every thought captive. And so I think of my thoughts deeply connected to my emotions. I feel something. Then I start thinking, well, uh, what am I going to do? Let's say it's anxiety or worry or fear or doubt or pride or let Pride's a good one because right. everybody struggles with that. And, and I start getting entitled and think, you know what? Um, I didn't like what Zach said. I, I didn't like what Cooper said either. You know, I deserve this. I should this. And, and, and by now I should have this. And I go on and on and on down this road. Well, Paul says, wait, you're in spiritual warfare mode. Um, your pride, your sin is getting the best of you. You are not filtering this through God's word. Your emotions are now driving you and you're going to make foolish decisions mm-hmm. because you're going by how you feel. So what does he say to do? Take every thought captive, bring it unto and under the obedience of Christ. And now we're back to the core issue of everything in a leader's life. Who am I going to submit to? Who's my authority? I have to believe one thing or another thing. Either Christ is my authority and his word gets the final say, or I am my own authority and I get the final say. And if we're going to say that the master, Lord Jesus, is our master, what does that mean? I'm going to follow him. Mm. If I'm going to say I've counted the cost, I'm taking up my cross, and I'm going to follow Jesus, well, then I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter how I feel, I'm going to do it his way, because ultimately, my way is not going to work. Right. That's so good. And what we want to talk about, too, is who am I going to submit to? Because like you said, the core question a leader has to ask is, am I going to follow my own desires? Am I going to follow what my feelings and the path my feelings take me down? 
or am I going to submit to the one that created me and died for me, Jesus Christ? And, and we want to really unpack a verse, a proverb. If we want to talk about a book on leadership or a book on, on just wisdom, Proverbs is where we're going to be. And we're going to be Proverbs 21.1. It says, The king's heart is like a channel of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And in that first part, the king's heart is like a channel of water in the hand of the Lord. God's in control. And I think a lot of leaders in, in our society, in our culture, value control. We want control. We hold on to it so tightly and that we, we don't realize that there's someone else who is in control. And whenever we take our hands off of this, the metaphorical steering wheel is when, when God can lead us and when God can make crazy cool things happen through our lives. So how has this verse just shaped your leadership and what does it mean to you? Yeah, I, I look at the words of Proverbs and I think that, you know, I need this wisdom. I'm desperate for it. The king's heart is, in the ESV, a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, or he turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, You think of God's big, mighty, strong hand. And even when I look at my own hand, uh, I see the lines in my hand. And then where does water go? Well, water channels, and it runs along certain points. And so I I think of now the heart of a king, a strong, dominant king who wants things his way and is supposed to be somebody who knows what he's doing, that strong top leader, high level of authority is but water, steered by God's hand. To me, or in my mind, uh, that only applies one way. God's in control. I'm not. Period. Uh, It, you know, it's easy to to try to uh, think that we're in control. It is tempting for every leader to show that they're in control, but I think one of the most powerful witnesses as a Christian leader is to point to a higher power. Because I don't know about you guys, but I cannot be the answer to everything. I cannot be the solution to everything. If I start going down that road, it might work once, it might work twice, I might have a few good ideas, but in the end, I'm going to burn out because my well is not deep enough to uh, compete with God's wisdom and to compete with God's authority. So every leader even has to look not only himself in the mirror or herself in the mirror, but even at the people that they're leading and say, sure, you can look to me for an example. I'm supposed to be an example. I'm supposed to provide guidance, but guess where I'm looking? Mm -hmm. I'm looking up. I'm not the ultimate authority. I've got a higher authority. I'm not the ultimate power. I'm not the ultimate answer. I've got the ultimate power. It's Christ. I've got the ultimate answer. It's him. So like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul was saying, hey, I'm a model. Absolutely. Uh, If I'm going to be a leader and say that you should imitate me, I should be worth imitating. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. Uh, You can't have a reckless life and be some hypocrite and then say, well, I'm just following Jesus. I guess it's all all grace. No, we need to be worth our weight in uh, leadership, and people should follow leaders that are faithful. But every wise and prudent and godly, faithful, strong leader knows at the end of the day, their real source of authority is merely God's authority. Mm. Their real example they're drawing from is the example of Christ. Uh, Proverbs 21.1 is a reminder to everybody to humble themselves before and under the mighty hand of God that he is in control. He will turn the tables. He will turn the channels of water. He will turn the, the hands of time and turn the world where he wants it to go. So it's a really good idea not to try to compete with that. Right. And, and just to think that you are just merely a pawn in, in the, the grand 
the plan of the Lord. And and you are the stream, like you were talking about. And you can't be a source if you don't have a source. And, and you can't lead people if you don't, if you aren't being led by someone. So I want to ask how it's played out in your life, in your leadership, in your transition to, to leadership in, in the church world. How has this verse played out for you personally? Yeah, I can say it real simply and real clearly. I'll try to as best as I can. Um, everybody is under authority. That's a great principle to learn. Uh, every leader or every uh, point of authority, even in the church, is under authority. At our church, we say it like this, Jesus is the senior pastor. And while we might have teaching pastor or lead pastor or some title that helps people identify what our role is supposed to be, we are under shepherds. We're not the shepherd of the church. We're not the head. Christ is. And so the way that this plays out in everyday ministry is uh, I don't really walk around with the burden to be you know, the big shot. Mm -hmm. uh, the other pastors don't walk around as some false source of perfection or the be-all, end-all. The beauty is I am a servant to Christ. I'm a steward of the mystery of the gospel and of his work. And so um, one of the best ways that I have learned to apply this and seen it work in my life is by not having to be anything more than what I am. Mm -hmm. I am, like Paul said, let men regard us as servants, stewards, that's all I am. I'm a, I'm a lower galley, um, you know, boat rower. I'm a slave to Christ. I am a table waiter. Uh, sure, he calls me son. Yeah, he calls me friend. Absolutely. Um, I've got an inheritance in heaven. Oh, yeah, God knows my name and knows the hairs on my head. That's wonderful. He does. But I also understand that uh, I'm not the center of this thing. Mm. I'm not the main player in the game, if you will. Christ is. And so I want to play my role. I want to do it with confidence. But in the end, um, every single one of us is under authority, and we sure do well to learn early on that we're under authority. So good. And I love what you talked about. It's a, it's a burden-free way to lead people. Because I feel like if you're at the center of attention, if I'm trying to pull these people, if I'm trying to lead on my own well, that is not nearly deep enough to lead the people, have the capacity to lead people, you're going to burn out. And it's a burden-free way to lead. So kind of talk about that, what it looks like to to be a burden-free leader of, of knowing you're not in control, yep. submitting to a higher power. Now you have the freedom to be who you are and to love people like Jesus would. Yeah, I'll say it this way. A leader cannot take people where they haven't been themselves. So imagine mm -hmm. trying to take people into... Uh, better submission and following of Jesus in their life, but you yourself aren't very submissive. Imagine taking people to a place where they are uh, casting their anxieties on the Lord, 1 Peter 5, 7, and they are humbling themselves before the mighty hand of God, and they are following, and they want to serve, and they want to love others, and they want to consider others above themselves, like Christ did in Philippians 2. So imagine trying to do all that, but you yourself have an issue with submission, authority, humility, faithfulness, consistency, that is a very difficult, I would even go further, that's an impossible task. Mm. And that is why a lot of leaders burn out, is they have not yet come to a place where they're ready to admit, I'm not the solution. I am not the ultimate authority God is. And so what that is, though, is a moment of great fear and insecurity for a lot of leaders right. because they think that if they admit that, that they're going to lose influence when, in fact, God's system is counter-cultural. It's different than the world. In the world, yes, you never show weakness. You never admit defeat. 
in the corporate world, they'll teach you this. You wear your power tie, your power suit, and you show a strong, solid face every day. You never show weakness or you're going to be eaten alive. But in God's system, it's the other way. Uh, the weak or the strong. Those who seat themselves at the last seat on the table, they get invited to the first seat of the table. Those who uh, will humble themselves before God, the Word of God says He's going to exalt those individuals. And mm-hmm. so um, I see this as an essential thing that should play out in the life of every leader where they really understand. Uh, I can't take people where I haven't been, and so I can't expect people to follow or be humble and submissive to authority if I myself am not exhibiting that kind of humility. So what would you say to the person who's listening to this is in the corporate world? They just heard that for the first time, the realization of the upside-down kingdom that Jesus brought to this earth. They're like, Kasi, there's no way. Like, there's no way that I could submit myself to a higher power and lead out of weakness. Like, there's no way I'd get eaten alive, like you said. What do you say to that person? How do they attack the corporate world with this concept? Yeah, go to the book of Genesis and read about a guy named Joseph. And go look at what God did in the life and through the life of a man who went through a rough road. Yeah, he was not always at the you know front of the line or on the top of the mountain, but he trusted the Lord. And people forgot about him after he interpreted dreams in prison. And it took a little while, but eventually he was remembered. Yeah. And eventually he got the opportunity to be faithful and to stand witness for the glory of God. Um, here's the other thing. I'll tell you a real story from the real world now. Not that Joseph wasn't a real story. He was, but people might say, well, that's Joseph. Come right. on, I'm not Joseph. I was just talking to a guy in our church the other day who was explaining to me why he works for a large company. His boss said to him, you find me more Christians and more people from your church if you have to that are like you. I want to hire them. Mm-hmm. And it all started because the boss had said, I want you to do something. And it wasn't a very honest thing. And this individual said, can't do that. No. And the boss said, do you understand your job's on the line? You better do it. Mm -hmm. I've told you to do it. I need you to do it. Don't give me this religious stuff now. And the individual who's a member of our church said, not going to happen. You can fire me. I will not waver in my conviction. I'm a Christian. You know that. I will not do that. That's not honest. No one's going to see, the the employer had told him. And he said, yeah, God will. So huff and a puff and out the door went the employer, the big boss, came back the next day and said, you know what? You're promoted. Made them a uh, higher level manager and then said, you know, you drive me crazy, but I know I can trust you. Mm-hmm. Okay. That story is one of my favorite stories to tell now because it is evidence that conviction is contagious. You don't have to do anything different, but be who you are. And yeah, you might get fired from the first job you ever do that at. Or yeah, it might be a tougher road, but you know what? Uh, You live for an audience of one. Who do you serve? Who is your master? Who is the king that owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Who's the God who owns every dollar, who controls every leader? Who is the God of the impossible, the God that we serve? So be faithful, walk in obedience, and watch his blessings come, even in ways that sometimes money can't buy, and you might not be able to see materially, but joy, peace, a good night's sleep, and to be honest, a whole lot of influence through conviction can come if you will be faithful to the Lord above anyone else. That's an amazing story, and it even goes back to the filter you were talking about earlier. In that moment, that employee had to feel like, man, this would be so great to do this dishonest thing. Yeah, no one would know. I would gain money, I would gain influence, I'd gain credibility with the boss. But in fact, 
the opposite, the upside down kingdom is what got him promoted in a trustworthy view from the employer. And I think it's an amazing story. So, and I, I want to talk about submission because that guy in that story, he, he was under the authority of a boss who wasn't under the authority of his, his, his God, his king, but this employee was. And so what does it look like to submit to a boss that's dishonest, uh, that, that wants you to go the wrong way? How do you, how do you weather that? You know, I, I, I'm submitting to God. I'm submitting to what he says. I'm filtering all of my decisions through what his word says. I'm going to have to say no to this. Talk about submission because it's not easy. And it's, it's a hard word. People, people kind of cringe at the word submission. Yeah. So kind of talk about that. <laughs> yeah. It's a dirty word. It is. Nowadays. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. When, when um, <laughs> as, as people get older and you start talking in marriage and you talk about right. Ephesians that, that 5. That is a buzzword. It, yeah. You, you have two kinds. You have mutual submission where you look at husbands and wives and you're going, yeah, we, we, you need to be mutually submissive. And husbands are going, what are you talking about? You know, I'm the head of the home here. I'm the boss man. And the wife's going, submit. What, do you want me to be a doormat to this goon? I don't right. want to submit to him. He's not very nice to me all the time. You know, you end up counseling people through that. And, you know, nobody likes submission because we are prideful and we're sinful. And our human nature says, no, you know, I'm in control. We kind of act like toddlers, brats with God sometimes. And, well, here's the deal. We need to make a decision as early on as we can when it comes to our conviction about the gospel about the way that we're going to handle ourselves in the workplace. Are we going to be honest about our faith, even with an employer? Are we going to see even an opportunity that may get us fired as still an opportunity to share the gospel? See, what I love about the, the book of First Peter, it's a reminder this world's not our home. Peter talking to Christians that we're going through a lot says, hey, you're sojourners, meaning you're, you're just passing through. You're heading home. Heaven is where your ultimate destination is. Uh, the king of kings is your ultimate king. We better have that mentality more often than we do, especially in our workplace, because if we thought that way, then we would even rise above the stress and the anxiety of a situation where, well, how am I going to stand up to my boss? And what am I going to do? And what am I going to And in the end, we, start need to, we need to start thinking, um, no matter what happens today, I'm going to be honest about my convictions. I'm also going to be honest about my desire to submit to my boss's authority, but I'm going to tell them I can't do that into sin. Mm. I can submit to you. I'm happy to submit to you, but I cannot do that into sin. And my God and my Bible and my faith require that I don't uh, lie on that document, or I don't steal from that, or I don't make that decision. So we can be honest about that, and then we have to go one step further. And if the boss says, well, if you don't do that, you're fired, we have to be willing to sit there and say, okay, this just changed from I'm going to stand for my convictions and hope that my boss cooperates to my boss is not cooperating, so now I'm going to use this as a final opportunity to live out the Great Commission, to share the gospel on my way out the door. Because guess what, Christian? you are not from here. You're just passing through. So even a meeting where you're getting fired for being faithful is still an opportunity to live for the gospel and to share the gospel. And you never know what the seed of the gospel could do in the heart of even an employer that's about to fire you for holding true to your faith. Right. And even the thought of having to turn something down and give up your job just makes me anxious. And it's like taking your hands, like if I'm driving down the highway 
And I and I'm riding with Cooper, and Cooper's like, Zach, just take your hands off the wheel. I got this. Like instantly, I'm anxious. You know, instantly. If you're telling me that I need to take my hands off the steering wheel and let God be in control of my life, I'm anxious. So how do you fight that anxiety of, hey, I'm not in control? Talk to the control freak here. What are you saying to him? <laughs> yeah. Well, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your heart, make your request known to God. So in other words, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. Well, you're going, well, that's impossible. I, I worry about a lot. Um, I'm going to press in a little bit on our hearts, and so buckle up. So worry buckle. worry is is sin. You think, how? Okay, worry is sin. Because worry is basically taking control. Uh, worry is saying, well, God can't handle this. What are we going to do? Uh, worry is rooted in unbelief. Mm-hmm. See, when I'm worried about Cooper driving the car off the road, I obviously don't believe that Cooper can handle the car, that Cooper's in control. I don't believe that Cooper has my best interest or my safety in mind. I don't believe that Cooper can see the road the way I do. I don't believe Cooper can handle this situation. So I need to say something. I need to express my dissatisfaction with what's happening right now. Well, when we see it that way, we start to realize how often we behave that way with God, which isn't a condemning statement I'm trying to make, but a convicting one. We need to go back to the root of worry, which is unbelief. God where are you? I don't really believe that you've got this handled. I need to express some things to you right now. You're not showing up fast enough. You're not doing what I want you to do. Hey, hold on a minute now. This isn't supposed to be happening to me. Well, what we're really saying is, God, you're not doing it my way. God, I want this to go the way I want it to go. Start doing what I want you to do, because this doesn't feel very good. Well, worry is rooted in unbelief and unbelief is undoubtedly sin. That is clear throughout the Bible. And so we need to go to the Word of God and let it be our filter again and go, okay, be anxious for nothing. What does that mean? It means be anxious for nothing. Literal translation, let it go. 1 Peter 5, 7 gives you the out card. Cast all your anxieties on him. Give them to him. And admit, Jesus, I'm having trouble believing you can handle this. I'm so sorry. Thank you for the conviction you've given me now. I'm giving this to you. You can handle it. And then you start thanking him. That's what Philippians 4 is all about, with thanksgiving in your heart. Lord, thank you for even the trial. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the wake-up call. And then make your petition. God, I really am asking you to move on my behalf. Lord, I need you to come through. And then Paul says, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your mind, your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Well, guess what? The peace of God comes, which by the way, peace is priceless. If you could bottle or package it up into a commodity, you guys would be the richest couple of (laughs) entrepreneurs in the world. Everybody wants peace. Well, guess what? God has a peace that's outside of thinking. No Elon Musk, no Mark Cuban, no entrepreneur will ever be able to shark tank peace. Mm -hmm. Never going to happen. Only God has a monopoly on it, and so you need to take unbelief, worry, anxiety, pride, control, all of it, give it to him, thank him for his plan and purposes, even when it's not easy, and then say, thank you for even peace and rest in it, trusting God. It's, I think it's a daily exercise yeah. for a leader. So what does it look like for you daily to make that happen daily? Practically, how do you do that? Uh, I, 
I pray every morning for an extensive period of time. That is something I haven't always done. I've learned to do that. Mm. And I've learned through pain. Uh, for example, get up, roll out of bed, typical day, and imagine what you guys do. And, and what I used to do is we grab the cell phone, right? And maybe you don't do this anymore. It's good. But most people grab the cell phone, uh, go to social media, scroll Instagram, check DMs, Snapchat, whatever, and then check email. That'll get the anxiety going because <laughs> you got four of them from your boss and then you're going, oh, it's going to be that kind of day. And then, um, well, now you got to brush your teeth, shave, shower, get dressed, get going, get breakfast, and you're already off to the worst start you could possibly be off to. Oh, I didn't do my quiet time yet. I got to do quiet time. Man, I haven't even been in the Word yet. Well, I, I don't have time for that. I need to get on with it. There's like four emails waiting for my boss. Well, and then this went haywire and this person, this drama, and then you get a text from a friend or if you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and then they're mad at you and on and on and on. That is so often the life of the average person, isn't it? Now, you change the details, but right. in general, we don't wake up with purpose, the right kind of purpose, the right kind of priorities. So for me personally, my conviction doesn't have to be your command, but here's my conviction. I wake up and I do not touch my cell phone. It is in a, I, uh, it, it is in a clear location every day, same spot. I roll out of bed and I go right to prayer. First thing I do, I have a prayer list. I don't just say, you know, oh God, thank you for this day and, and then move on. I, I want to pray deeply and clearly. I get up early to do that. So my day starts with the Lord. I give them the anxieties. I call them out real, literal anxieties. And I say, that meeting with that person today, I give it to you. And I ask for James 1.5 wisdom, where James writes that if we ask in faith, believing, trusting that the Lord will give wisdom, God will give it lavishly. So I ask for wisdom right away for every situation. And I have not gone a day where when I started with prayer like that, that I'm experiencing a feeling of being out of control and I'm all worried. I still go through it, still have moments in my day. But what do I do? I go back to the anchor of prayer. So that's one of the key ways I do that. Mm -hmm. And then um, like Colossians teaches us to do, I believe Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly or dwell within us richly. I want the word of God in my mind. And so I'm in the word every day and I'm making sure that uh, scripture is filling my mind. So it's really hard to be filled with other type of thoughts and other things. And so uh, prayer in the word, I know that's an old fashioned Sunday school answer. Hey, read your Bible and pray every day. But the reality is do it and do it with passion and do it with discipline. And you will find um, anxiety can't survive very yeah. long in a life like that. That's good. That is so good. And I think as we finish up the, the Proverbs 21 part of we went through the king's heart. It's like a channel of water through the hands of the Lord. And the second part, he turns it wherever he wishes. God's in control. He's in control. He knows where he wants it to go, and he's going to send it that way. But I think when you—you you got me thinking on the worry part. Of I feel like there's two extreme camps here. There's the worriers, and then there's just the planners, the type A's, that they're mm. going to have everything planned out. So what would you say is the balance between worrying about everything and then faithful planning? Because yes. like, if I'm a type of person that I have every second of my day scheduled out and you're telling me not to do that, I'm going to start worrying. And then I'm the type of person that I worry about everything and I don't have anything planned out. Then my day's a wreck. Like what is the balance in there yes. of taking your hands off? 
That is such a great point. So we we can pick on our worriers, and 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 I'm one of them, and with you, and we're all them. So you know, pick on the worriers, and it's easy. You know, your worry is unbelief. Your unbelief is sin. Give it all to God. Stop being anxious. Pray more, etc. But yeah, what about the the necktie too tight? Everything's you know, every T crossed, I dotted. Um, you know, I got my calendar perfect, and you're never going to get in my schedule and ruin my day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think of other places in the Proverbs, man makes his plans. The final outcome is the Lord's. Uh, I, you're right there. Plan, yes. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, go to the ant, O sluggard. I mean, go learn a few things about how to plan for the future from the ant. Basically, one of the smallest insects in the world will teach you one of the biggest lessons you'll ever learn. Mm-hmm. Yes, plan. Yes, strategize. Yes, lower the amount of anxiety you have. And the amount, of, the amount of worry you have from your lack of discipline, 100%. But in all of that, understand uh, you're to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You're not to lean on your own understanding, but like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, in all your ways, you're to acknowledge him and he will direct or make straight your paths. And so it's about leaning on the Lord. Everything goes back to him. If you want to say everything rolls uphill Mm -hmm. to God, you got to look to him and realize ultimately make your best plans. Try to do your best to be disciplined, but he's the one running the show. And when things don't go your way, but they're going his way, that's got to be good enough. Right. That's the safest place to be is in the plans of the Lord. And the the point of this interview is to, to hear me, hear me say, I needed to hear this tonight. You are not in control of your life. God has a plan for your life. He's going to work it out. Even when it's, it's, you can't see his hand, you got to trust his heart. The, the cliche saying there, but God is in control. But um, Kasi, as we land a plane, I uh, just want to ask you what we ask all of our, our leaders that we have on, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? You look at 20-year-old Kasi in the face, what are you telling him? What are you going to tell me tonight? Oh, man. So I'm going to give you two answers. Okay. okay. The first is the, the literal raw thing I would say to 20-year-old me. Um, I would say, uh, get rid of your Hummer bonehead, uh, and start serving Jesus for real. Uh, that would be what I would say to me, but in a general sense, I know what you're asking. Uh, I would say, learn to follow faithfully, uh, so you can one day lead faithfully, uh, learn to follow, learn to be humble, learn to pay your dues, learn to come under authority, uh, learn to do the right thing, even when it's hard. Learn that it's never wrong to do the right thing. Learn that who you are when no one is looking is who you really are. Learn all of that. Learn to follow faithfully uh, so you can uh, lead one day faithfully for the glory of God. Incredible. And that's our, that's our charge to our listeners. You're not in control. Learn to follow faithfully so you can one day lead faithfully like Mr. Costigan. Thank you so much for your time. We, we appreciate it more than you know. Thank you, guys. Keep it up. What an incredible episode by Mr. Costi Hen. We're so thankful for him and his time. If you found this episode helpful, help us get the word out. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Let us know who we should interview. Send us an email at next.generation.leader.podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to get the word out. So help us hop on board, and we'll see you next Monday.